What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. So about that, uh, aside yeah. in demon hunting, we have the lovely guest from... Why she got that name. Uh, well, we cannot, and as you will unfortunately see very shortly. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm Blood <laughs> and my skull. Yeah, yeah you're good, bro. Like living with. However, there isn't a ton of hard evidence that... I'm just going to have my meat pie. <laughs> like, uh, Jesus, I, a elderberry worked. Never hurt me by anyone. Yeah, I, did, I see I, now. I I like, that's between back and forth, and on the phone you can hear. It, it then goes on to listen. You got to be non-judgmental, right? Yeah. Oh, but no, this is our episode on uh, female serial. <laughs> so uh, stick hurt. around for the music <laughs> and. Uh, Stop it. Welcome back to Bras of Murder, where we give you true comic cases of color, music, and this week, some hashtag history. Yay. See how I worked that in? Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Uh, but uh, this week, we're talking about femme fatales. And to help us get into our case about filicide and demon hunting, we have <laughs> the lovely guests from hashtag history here to get into the psychology, methodology, and perception of female serial killers. So before you get into it, why don't you like introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'll quickly just say I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And thank you so much for having us. We are so super excited to be here. We've been listening to the podcast for a while. So this feels like it was a long time coming. We're really excited to be guest on the show. For sure. Yeah, and just to give a little introduction about us for your listeners, we are the co-host of, you already shared, the Hashtag History Podcast. Um, so we're a history podcast that covers stories of historical controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Yeah, and we're also pretty big consumers ourselves of true crime. So we always, uh, we tend to weave in some historical true crime, uh, topics into our show, such as like Jack the Ripper, Lizzie Borden, the Jonestown's, ma- the Jonestown Massacre, Heaven's Gate Colts. You, you name it. We've probably covered it. The Venn yeah. diagram is a circle. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely true. Okay. So dude, do you want me just to dive right in? Yeah, go crazy. Awesome. So because we are a history podcast, we brought for you today the story of a potential, and I'll explain why we say potential later, a potential female serial killer uh, that dates all the way back to the 16th and 17th centuries. But before we dive into her story, we did want to take, you know, just like a brief look at female serial killers in general and why they hold such a fascination in our society. For one, I think it's because they're rare in comparison with male serial killers. Sure, we can name, you know, now a handful of female serial killers, but when you stack them up against the Ted Bundys, the Jeffrey Dahmers, the BTKs, I mean, they, they fail in comparison. In fact, in research from the Radford University and Florida Gulf Coast University, they found that somewhere between 5% and 11% of serial murders are committed by women, with the rest being committed by men. And in the study, they found that at any given time during the 1980s, there were maybe a few dozen female serial killers in comparison to the more than 700 male serial killers during the same time period. 700. I wouldn't say I'm surprised, but I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> right? I was going to say, no, I'm not surprised. <laughs> well, I'm not surprised that women are, are a small percentage, but 700 uh, serial killers at one time sounds very high to me. So a rocket hit two of them. <laughs> oh, my God. How do we not, like, how is it just not con- living in constant fear? Right. I- well, and I was even shocked by the fact that, you know, during that time period, during the 1980s, there were a few dozen female serial killers. Again, that's in comparison to 700 male serial killers which is just wrong the streets yeah but i'm like there were a few dozen female serial killers too it's just crazy statistics that i don't think we really realize and part of the reason why there are fewer female serial killers than male serial killers is because of the difference in motives so unlike 
male serial killers, female serial killers are more likely to kill strictly for profit or for an improvement in their lifestyle. That's very interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. I wouldn't have even thought of that. Yeah, I wouldn't put two and two together. (laughs) Yeah, and I think the other thing, so even if that doesn't sound familiar, I think this next bit totally will when we think of the difference between male and female serial killers. Uh, female serial serial killers are generally unlikely to seek out random victims in unfamiliar locations. Mm-hmm. Rather, they tend to kill husbands, boyfriends, girlfriends, lovers, children, and usually they do that within their own homes or places of employment. So I think that that really lends to why there's such a difference in the number of male Do you think it's more of like a killers? proximity type thing, like accessibility type thing, or just like there's a reason and a, like yes. a clear motive behind why they're doing it. That's what I think. I think it's motive. It's, you know, again, um, a, you know, a profit purpose or an improvement in their lifestyle. That's why they kill the husband and the kids versus I get a thrill out of killing random victims. And so I will just strike at any woman in the street that I find. Do you know if women that kill are the death are the murders as or are the murders really gruesome that's an ed- or are they like cleaner like because i would imagine like i just think that men are yeah very They're sloppy sloppy's. when it comes yeah. to like you know? <laughs> yeah well i think um you know and i don't have this information in front of me so i can't bring up any specific stats but i know from just the true crime that i consume that it's an overwhelming statistic of female serial killers that they kill by poison versus mm-hmm. a bloody, violent, brutal, physical... Someone getting bludgeoned exactly. to death. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So female serial killers, they are rare. And this actually led a criminologist named Eric uh, Hickey to boldly claim in 1985 that, quote... There are no female serial killers. Unquote. Bold move, Cotton. Bold. Yeah. Bold. Bold. Dies a week later. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Ellie Warno said, hold my beer. Yeah, she did. <laughs> so now we, of course, know that that is not true. And that lends us perfectly to the story that Leah and I have to share with you today. So we're going to be talking about the story of Elizabeth Bathory. Have either of you heard of her before? Okay, I'm super excited about this. So she was also known as the Blood Countess and was actually labeled by Guinness World Records as the most prolific female murderer in history. While we can't badass name now. (laughs) Well, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, and we'll definitely go into why she was why she got that name. Uh, While we cannot definitively say how many people she killed, which is something that we're going to dive into over the course of the story. There are rumors that she killed more than 600 people. Yeah. So, so now, she was really, really yeah. a serial killer. I would imagine, like, doing it by... If, if it was done... If a lot of her murders were done with poison, it's probably easier to poison a mass amount of people at once. I mean, with a name like, like Blood Countress, I thought it was poison. <laughs> yeah, she she was one of the, yeah, the exceptions to the rule <laughs> of, <Yeah>. of poison. <laughs> And as you will unfortunately see very shortly. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm just going to pass it off to Leah and she's going to give us like a good background on Ms. Bathory. Yeah. So Countess Elizabeth Bathory de Etched. Uh, she is from Hungary and was born on August 7th in 1560 in Hungary. So to give you a little idea of the vibes of Hungary at the time, Elizabeth was niece to the Voivod of Transylvania. So think Dracula, really. Yeah. <laughs> like that if Van need... Helsing movie with uh, yeah. Hugh Jackman? Yes, yes. <laughs> she was the daughter of a baron of royal Hungary, and she had another uncle that was actually the king of Poland at the time. So she grew up in Etched Castle and lived a relatively lavish lifestyle for the time period, right? Material. Now, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she she was used to getting what she wanted. Let's just put it that way. The yeah. OG hot girl, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, rumor has it that as a child, Bathory suffered multiple seizures that may have caused, uh, may have been caused by epilepsy, possibly stemming from inbreeding in the family. Uh, her parents were. Thrones? 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> Her parents were like first cousins, which we know was not all that unusual at the time, uh, especially in noble families who wanted to like keep their bloodlines pure. But you uh, <laughs> but also so. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> An interesting fact about her condition, uh, apparently in the 1500s, symptoms related to what we now know as epilepsy were diagnosed as falling sickness. And treatments included rubbing the blood of a non-epileptic person on the lips of the epileptic. Um, or even grosser, they would like give the epileptic a mix of non-epileptic's blood and a piece of their skull as their episode ended who the fuck um, came up with that i know <laughs> you know <laughs> who figured that out let's just think let, let's think you know <laughs> modern science and modern medicine right now let's give a shout out for it because, <laughs> <ugh>. <laughs> um yeah so apparently people were just carving uh chunks of <laughs> skull um and putting it on the platter of an epilepsy. it sounds like there were crunchy doctors back then too so <laughs> oh for sure all natural <laughs> <laughs> yeah like <laughs> Yo, just have my blood and my skull. Yeah, yeah, you're good, bro. Take this. It's my blood. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> I'm healthy. Trust me. I'm pure. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm good. I'm good. My lineage is good. <laughs> I've only procreated with my sisters. I'm totally, yeah. totally pure. You're good. Yeah, you're good. I've only had scurvy twice, so you should yeah. be good. <laughs> and smallpox once. Small, yeah, yeah. smidge as a treat. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I say all this because um, this condition led to speculation that Bathory's killings during her later life were a part of her efforts to like cure this illness she was living with. However, there isn't a ton of hard evidence that supports this, but it is a running theory. If you're looking for reason behind her motives or motives behind what she's doing. So there isn't a ton more of information on her quote childhood and i'm using air quotes because the next fact i'm about to throw at you all uh is very much still what during what we would consider our childhood because she was engaged at the age of 10 to um really for her (laughs) really she's she's a seasoned woman at this point in her life Um, (laughs) she's seen some shit by that age yeah yeah she probably had, you know. <laughs> well, all the falling down and blood and skulls, yeah. Yeah. So she was engaged to um, a dude named Ferenc Nadasti, who was a son of a lower class baron. So, like, remember, she's like the daughter of a count and her uncle's the king. She's so of noble blood. She's of very noble blood. And this dude was like lower on the totem pole. So. Damn, that sucks. Yeah. Again. <laughs> Hate um, to see it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That can't be me. So Elizabeth, no. Elizabeth and Nadasdi were married about five years later when she was 15 and he was 19. And um, this part gets me, and I, I don't know whether to like applaud her or be like, come on, girl. Uh, but apparently she refused to take his name since he was of a lower standing. And in the <laughs> like, so she she instead like made him take her name, <laughs> which I totally <laughs> I, I kind of love that. Exactly. Yeah. There's like, we can look at it like, all right, girl, like girl power, feminist mm-hmm. vibes, but also like super classist. <laughs> She's like, ill poor. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like about having her own, like, you know, identity. being like yeah. her own identity. It was just, you're poorer than me. So <laughs> obviously never, I'm not taking your me, name. Literally. I cannot have your name associated with mine. Yeah. I'd rather fall down again. <laughs> <laughs> So as a wedding present, Nadasdi, now Mr. Bathory, uh, gifted his estate to uh, of Castle Chate or Cheta, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Um, so it, and then also a country house that went along with this estate and 17 adjacent villages to Elizabeth. So this and was, was given. He still had to change his name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and he was he was poor, though. guys. Yeah. <laughs> a, a country house and 17 villages really is not enough. No, you were. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So pretty quickly, Nadasdi became chief commander of the Hungarian troops and was off fighting wars and doing other war-y type stuff against those pesky Ottomans. 
leaving Elizabeth to her own devices. And it was during this time uh, she was known to just keep up the estate, defend it at any time the Ottomans threatened it. And her people, she would protect them as well. And she was actually known to have aided multiple women who were left destitute or in ruin by the war. So she was doing good, good deeds during this time. Uh, Elizabeth had her first daughter, Anna, in 1585, followed by, the, by her son, Ursula, in 1590, and then her daughter, Katerina, in 1594, and a son, um, Andreas, <laughs> by 1596. Uh, her husband died in 1604 at the very old age of 48. Uh, <laughs> Dang, dude. That sucks. That, I mean, that yeah, is it was medieval age. times. That was yeah. probably really great. Yeah, he was right. like, what did he have? Did it, what did he die of? Like, they, like You know, I didn't find that. Matter. It was just, probably just disregard that. Medieval Dysentery stuff. or something. Smallpox. Yeah. Yeah. Smallpox. <laughs> and so once again, this lift left Elizabeth to her own devices. Dun, dun, dun. So now is when I'm going to start oh. sharing the gross stuff when it allegedly occurred. So after Nadasdi's death in 1604, rumors of Bathory's cruelty began to surface. Although it should be noted that some rumors say Nadasdi was also involved in the carnage before he died. But according to most testimonies, Bathory's cruelty began after his death. So I just wanted to make that clear. Now, before I dig into the details, A... I'd like to issue a little bit of a warning that pretty much the rest of the story is really gory. And this is the gold star episode. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And B, it should be noted that at the time, cruel beatings were commonplace, especially. Yeah, go ahead. No, yeah, I was going to say, isn't that like normal then? Like you could murder whoever you want, whenever you want. And there's like little or no consequences or repercussions because, especially if you're royal. Yeah, Yeah, right. Exactly. What's different from now? Especially, yeah, <laughs> especially, I mean, but no, I mean, that is kind of part of her story. It is very relevant to today's time period in that um, her, you know, beating a peasant, if you're nobility, was not something that people looked at twice. And that is perhaps why she got away with what she allegedly got away with for so long. Because they don't want to get beat either. Shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So Jesus. while it was commonplace, right, for cruelty by the nobility towards peasants her like violence rose above what would be considered commonplace and she allegedly developed a taste for something far more sinister than your average peasant beating noble woman Bathory's bar, that was black that, licorice yeah. <laughs> yeah, the bars that peasant beating and then black licorice right on top. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna eat this. <laughs> Tastes like cough syrup. <laughs> oh God. Bathory's first victims were allegedly lower class girls aged ten to fourteen years old that had been lured into the castle by the promise of employment. The atrocities described most consistently included severe beatings with lashes, knives, irons, and clubs the burning or mutilation of hands being doused in cold water and thrown out in the snow where they were then forced to freeze Mm. to death, being starved to death, being covered in honey and ants, having needles shoved under their fingernails and having said fingers chopped off. If they tried to remove the needles, like I said, it gets really, really gruesome. Oh, I know that. Honestly, that could have been a part of it. There's not a lot doing whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, a really gross and horrible source of entertainment. Yeah. It's like, do I go on a carriage ride or do I murder some kids? I don't know. Yeah, yeah right. What, what's on today's agenda? Yeah. Now, some accounts kinda... claim that Bathory would bite the flesh off the faces, arms, and other body parts of her victims. And probably worst of all, Bathory was suspected of cannibalism. So she didn't just bite, she swallowed. After years of terrorizing the lower class of her region, she was said to have begun killing the daughters of the lower gentry who were sent to her estate by their parents to learn courtly etiquette. So exactly to what we were just saying earlier, this here is likely when she began being called out for her terror since, as we all know, (laughs) of course, noble daughters' lives are far more important than the lives of peasants. We all know this. So finally, the royal class started paying attention to the rumors surrounding Bathory. 
Yeah. So now how many total victims did she inflict these horrendous acts on? There are reports of up to 600 total victims, all of which were young women. The story of Bathory's sadistic serial murders are verified by the testimony of more than 300 witnesses and survivors, as well as physical evidence that was later found. Not to mention the presence of horribly mutilated dead and dying maidens found in her courtyard and basement when she was eventually arrested for these crimes. Some of the witnesses... Oh, Battle, you look like you were about to say something. <laughs> like, did her property not stink? That's all about, I was thinking the <laughs> like, same thing. To be <laughs> fair... <laughs> I feel like it's medieval times. I exactly. feel like it's walking on like shit. shit yeah. To know? be fair, everyone stinks. Of, uh, yeah. No yeah. one bathes True. and they eat yeah. days old food. Yeah. So. <laughs> no one was maybe it, maybe it smelled a little different and they were like, this is different than the normal just like... The normal toilet. The stank of the castle. Was, yeah. <laughs> But anyways, I'm just going to have my meat pie. Oh, God. <laughs> like, <laughs> Horrible. If you wash your hands, why would I? <laughs> yeah, why? Who does why? that? <laughs> for, for what purpose? Good germs. What am yeah. I, dandy? <laughs> <laughs> so some of the witnesses that came forward reported having seen traces of torture on dead bodies, some of which were buried in public graveyards. Others were actually found in unmarked graves near the castle. And this is how all those rumors started before she was caught is they, they kept finding these dead bodies and with like, you know, murder or sorry, with um, signs of torture on them. Mm. Like a bite, so, bite marks. Yeah, like bite marks <laughs> and needles sticking out of their fingernails. Oh my God. Like, this was a natural causes, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So two court officials claim to have personally witnessed the Countess torture and kill young servant girls, but it should be noted that almost all of the witnesses that testified against her, um, they said that they heard of the accusations from someone else, but didn't actually see it themselves. And the servants who admitted to the crimes did so under torture. So the question has to be begged. Were these just horrendous rumors that got out of hand? Right. Very few of the accounts were firsthand accounts. Um, while historical documents do seem to support the accusations against her, modern research actually indicates that Bathory a very powerful woman at the time might have been the target of politically motivated slander that allowed relatives to divvy up her land after her downfall. Okay, mm. alright. I, I can see that actually. <laughs> yeah. You know, Make we, we crazy, talk about... Get her stuff. Yeah, we talk about this all the time on our shows. Um, people throughout history don't like women who are different or independent or what what have you, so mm-hmm. uh, even if it wasn't... didn't after her husband died, right? Right, she was living yeah. her own life with no man telling her what to do. So that, you know, uh, is plausible for sure. So the problem with this theory uh, is that since the damage done to her family name by all of these rumors and these accusations against her actually damaged not just her, but her whole family's name, a lot of people are like, no, they, they her family isn't can't be the ones that were, th- you know, creating these rumors because... It affected them as well. It hurt all of them. So, but honestly, who knows what those medieval people were thinking? They were cray. Yeah, they were, I mean, they so, were probably all shady to some degree anyway. <laughs> oh, for sure. They probably weren't thinking straight, really. They were probably really hungry. <laughs> <laughs> we tend to believe that the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? Uh, you know, she could have had a lot of victims she could have done some horrible things and maybe it all got blown out of proportion and maybe there was some like political um you know there was some political motive behind making it seem worse than it actually was regardless on december 30th of 1609 elizabeth bathory and her servants were arrested The servants accused of aiding her in torture and murder were put on trial a couple years later and three were executed. Bathory. Yeah. Bathory. Job. (laughs) Yeah. Though, though Bathory was never tried, she was in prison in her castle and reportedly kept in a Brickton room where she died in 1614 at the age of 54. 
long life, though, and out of time. So this happened in, like, the 14th and 15th centuries. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's an awful way to be in prison, right? In a castle. It's horrible. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we hate to see it. Yeah. There are so no secret rooms. passages. Yeah. <laughs> now, the final question that begs to be answered is why? Why did she do this? We already talked early on about one theory, which is that she was using the blood of her victims to cure her epilepsy. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, that's a pretty unsubstantiated claim and doesn't take into account, obviously, the brutal torture and beatings of her victims. Some scholars believe she was possibly a sexual sadist because in addition to being a psychopath, um, there were also sexual elements to the punishments that she inflicted, such as genital mutilation. In the years that followed her death, Bathory's legend grew and new stories about her, including that she was a vampire who liked to bathe in the blood of virgins to maintain her youthful appearance, began to spread even further than the original rumors. And now pop culture has latched on to this mythological like mythical version of Bathory's true story of depravity and has inspired a number of stories, films, books, including quite possibly Dracula. So many, in fact, that the legends and the myths surrounding the blood countess have begun to obscure the truth. Mm. And that's the story of Elizabeth Bathory, the blood countess. Do you have a picture of her? Do they have drawings of her? There are yeah, pictures I think of there's her. there are some pictures. If you just search Google for um, either the Blood Countess or Elizabeth Bathory, you'll, it's like you'll you look see. it up. This is a picture of Rosaline from Twilight. I'm trying to. It's been a while since I've looked ah, at a picture of her. They might have gotten the uh, the story for Resident Evil Village. Really? Oh, there's a um yeah, the, the, the the tall lady, the countess. Yeah, uh, everyone the D, like Demetria, something like that. I, I find that she's yeah. kind of one of the unless you really study like historic true crime, she's one of the lesser known uh, figures in history, which is interesting given that she's inspired so much in modern day yeah. pop culture. Yeah, I can see where a lot of oh, stories yeah. are like derived from that because mm-hmm. it's like. It'd be just easy to just make a, a stupid Netflix movie about it. Totally. Yeah, I'm and they, that they have made tons of movies about it, you know, over the last century. That'll be the Dang. new Netflix series. Yeah. The Blood Countess. <laughs> Canceled halfway through the airing of the season two. But truly, because they would end up making her into like a sympathetic character, right? Yeah, 100%. She was yeah, just trying story. to cure her epilepsy, guys. She was All a scientist, you see. <laughs> a scientist. She's a scientist. <laughs> Elderberry worked. And now, a message from our sponsors. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Yeah, yeah well, our case isn't any better. Oh. Again, it revolves around uh, filicide and demon hunting, which oh, on paper... If it didn't have to do with, like, child murder, it would be, like, a good manga. Like, a bunch of suburban moms hunting demons. That sounds fun. I'd read that story. <laughs> but actually, Actually, I feel like we did read that story <laughs> in, in our book club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so battle. Or you take it away. Yeah. By the way, I'm battle. I don't think I introduced myself. Hi. You didn't. <laughs> I, I know we sorry. did. We just jumped right into it. We did. I was just like, okay. Um... Yeah, I haven't talked to. Any, I haven't been on the show in a while. It's I've had a yeah, break. It's Hello, like everyone that's listening. Back, actually, yay! I hope you all missed my voice. I get to hear it every day. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, okay, I'll start. So there is a tragedy that unfolded around 9:30 a.m. Friday, January 17th of 2014. This is when officers they responded to a call on. 1900 block of cherry uh, cherry bend drive where they f- they found a bloody scene involving six people oh, did you already say what state sorry did i miss that i didn't say what state this is, uh, maryland. But, maryland yes so 
of those six people that were killed, four of them were children under the age of 10. Two of them were one year old. Her, their name was Norel, and the other one was Zyanna. Her, their age was two, and they were dead at the scene. They died of multiple stab wounds, and multiple stab wounds were found on their siblings, and some of them were taken to the hospital for treatment. But who's responsible for this? It was their children's own mother and leader of a demon hunters club. What? Yes. And we're not talking about Demon Slayer, the <laughs> manga that's out right now. Uh, yeah. Right? So Zakaya Av Avery and Montifa Sanford stabbed two of her children to death. They wounded the other two before Avery turned the knife on Sanford her accomplice while trying to perform an exorcism after pleading guilty. It just keeps getting worse. Yes. Yeah, it's just, you're uh, like, oh, like, it can't get any more terrible. I was right. looking at Rachel's my, face. I wish my, everyone could see Rachel's face around. She's like, what? Well, my jaw just keeps like mean? dropping further and further and further. My God. <laughs> so after pleading guilty to her crimes and being found criminally insane, it's evident that Avery had a severe mental illness. Yeah. And a According to a psychiatrist, Neil Blumberg, one of the experts, her actions, and I quote, her actions in this case cannot be understood without factoring in her mental illness and delusional belief that her children were possessed by demons. She clearly at the time thought that this was the proper and moral thing to do. So as we dive deep into this case, not only is it wild and intense, but there's a clear example of how mental illness spiraled out of control. So much so that Avery's step-grandmother, Sylvia Wade, told the Washington Post that Avery was humble and meek and she loved her children. She did, however, struggle with her mental illness and her only outlet became the church. And according to Investigators Avery and Sanford are members of this church called the Exosia Ministries, yeah, which was I a small and it was, it was a, yeah, it's a small random church, and uh, they they shut down after this all happened because of very bad press, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yes. So it was a small Christian congregation that worshipped in a Germantown elementary school. And during this time, Avery, she was actually positioned as a commander while Sanford was set as a sergeant of the offshoot demon assassins group that Avery what? founded. Was the church aware of this, of this in court? They, they would not talk about it. They said they had <laughs> yeah, no right. idea, but it's like, girl, they was, was like, <laughs> they was making an army inside your church. Like, come on. You, and yeah. Especially if it's a small church, you have to have some idea that this was going on. It's kind of the mm -hmm. same argument that Keith Ranieri and all of them have about Nexium that there was this, you know, side sex <laughs> cult that I had no idea. So but, you see them staying like, late. Right? Like, like, come on. Yeah. Please. Y'all knew who got branded and who 100%. didn't get branded. 100%. Don't try to play. <laughs> so... <laughs> So apparently the church leader never publicly spoke up about this demon assassins group, but still Avery's purpose for the group was to perform exorcisms on its members. And it's probably safe to say that in an environment that only exacerbates underlying mental health issues, this was the perfect breeding ground for that. Yeah. So it, it kind of all started with a guy named Troy, who was a group member who was scheduled for an in-home <laughs> exorcism the Thursday evening before the murders all took place. I now, didn't realize you could schedule them ahead of time. <laughs> oh, yeah. You have to make <laughs> reservations. You do. And you need to show up because the issue was Troy didn't make his appointment. <laughs> so, uh, it was the demon. <laughs> it was <laughs> causing to be late. But yeah, so Troy didn't show up. So around Thursday, around 10 p.m., a neighbor heard some commotions and he called the police he said that there was a baby left outside for about 45 minutes and he told the dispatcher that two women were coming after him because he I'm was like sorry. asking questions i have to cut you off there she watched a baby outside for 45 minutes and didn't 
assist the baby outside. <laughs> what? Yeah. Like, maybe, if I saw maybe a baby this... outside for 45 minutes by itself, at what point car. do you, yeah. what, at what point do you, like, retrieve the baby and care like, for the hey. baby? <laughs> right? Don't they do that in, like, Denmark, though, or Sweden, where they, like, let babies sleep in the strollers outside unaccompanied oh, by anyone? Oh, I don't know about this. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, just, I see I now watched... online. That's sketchy to me. Yeah. Just people that will just let their kids just, just stay in a just like oh, at a real safe in Denmark. Or... Yeah, just a public park oh, or what wow. they go on to eat, like Drive at coffee. a restaurant and stuff. Yeah. Wow. They just have like a baby camera in there. So maybe <laughs> that's where this person that watched this baby for 45 minutes <laughs> in his window is just like, yeah, Damn, you know, that's crazy. normal from yeah. where I just went. But <laughs> okay, sorry to interject, happening. but that was uh, a detail that we couldn't just slide by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so eventually he went out there to confront the two women he's seen, like bantering back and forth. And on the phone you can hear one woman yelling at him saying back up back up this isn't on your business and then he responds there's a baby in the car that's been there for an hour this is my business <laughs> appropriate <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you still left it in there for an hour guy you watched yeah. all that <laughs> yeah so now police said that they did respond to the first call but when they arrived at the home the woman and children were already inside so instead of investigating further they just left it at that and then called CPS, who said that they'll deal with it in the morning. <gasps> yeah. So around 5 a.m., before CPS could even get involved, both women reportedly became convinced that the demonic spirit that was inside of Troy, who missed his appointment, somehow transferred over into the children. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, not familiar. <laughs> yeah, not my expertise. So they felt like the ch- uh, this demonic spirit had invaded the souls of the four children and their eyes started turning black as Ooh. a sign of their you know, possession. So from what we know... Natural episode. <laughs> yeah, a really bad one. <laughs> <laughs> so from what we know from the court filings, it began with an attempt to... Again, I'm sorry. Gold star episode. This is going to get really dark. Mm. So it began... We're ready. <laughs> yeah. So it began with uh, Avery attempting to break the youngest child's neck and she couldn't get the force to do it. So it moved into strangulation, which didn't work. And it ultimately graduated into stabbing. So the youngest child being Norrell, it instinctually like fought against his mother, which is apparent because he had defensive wounds on his hands and arms. So even at the age of like one, he was still mm. put up a fight to live. Uh, the older two children, Tatiana and what was the other child's name? Martello. Did I say that right, Battle? Yeah. I said. <laughs> they uh, they saw the attack and began to cry out, obviously, for their mother. But this is when she and her roommate turned the attack onto them and started stabbing them, each punctri- uh, puncturing their lungs by hitting them so many times. Uh, those two children, however, did manage to survive the attack. So after the attack, the women then took showers together to wash off all the blood, clean up the crime scene as best they could, and then also prepare the bodies to see God by cleaning the blood off, wrapping them in sheets and blankets, and then it started moving them from upstairs to downstairs. So now the second call to 911 came at 9.23 a.m. Neighbors reported hearing a bunch of strange noises, yelling, screaming, And then that same neighbor who saw the baby outside for an hour also saw a bloody knife outside in front of a parked car that morning, too. So he he was he he did the right thing first. He did call the police the first time. If they would have just like knocked on the door and saw what was up, probably could have saved those kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now police finally arrived to the scene around 930 a.m. Officers discovered the lifeless bodies of Norrell, one, and Zayana, two, inside the two-bedroom home, one upstairs and one downstairs. And Tatiana, who survived, was curled up in a fetal position in a nearby bedroom, just fighting for her life, suffering from numerous stab wounds. Uh, The police caught Avery as she was heading downstairs with the body of her oldest child. And when she saw police, she just dropped the baby and ran toward the back door to flee. Oh, wow. But... They both were apprehended. So both of them actually faced two counts of first degree murder and two counts of first degree attempted murder. Both ultimately were found criminally insane in order to live the rest of their lives in a psychiatric ward. And 
Throughout the two-year trial, the defense proved that both women suffered from mental delusions and were not thinking rationally. Several family members... No, I was just going to say, my only comment, I believe that they clearly had some, you know, mental things they were struggling with. Mm -hmm. But the fact that she tried to run away tells Mm -hmm. me she knows she did something Mm -hmm. wrong. That's what what it's in the court filings, too. It's like, she knew what she did was wrong (laughs) at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. That's... So, that's my only... Mm -hmm. I don't love that. Yeah. I definitely think that there's some things that happen just because with mental illness. Well, I'll get into that in just a sec. Several family members in attendance at the verdict express their sadness, calling it bittersweet because at the end of the day, they still lost kids, their kids. So it just, while, you know, these children or some, these children were murdered, the murderers came down with like, you know, mental illness and it was like a lose lose for everyone. Yeah. Not trying to like glamorize them and say that, oh, this is what happened. No, because at some point, like, you know, there has to be some accountability mm-hmm. for what they do. Mm-hmm. But they are relieved that their family members will receive assistance that she requires in a mental mental institution. And while perpetrating Violence is relatively uncommon among those that actually have a serious mental illness. When it does occur, in many cases, it is intertwined with other issues, such as co-occurring substance use, adverse childhood experiences, and environmental factors. So there's so many different things that are at play that can influence someone, whether they have a cognitive disability or not to react different to specific stimuli. Yeah, because most people with like mental health issues like that, they're more of a danger to themselves than other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I so. think, Battle, what you had said earlier too, was this church group created this, for lack of a better word, perfect breeding ground um, for this illness and that maybe she felt supported and emboldened in, in um, these kind of delusions that she was having. What do they say when, like, you're only surrounding yourself with folks who echo chamber, echo chamber, echo chamber, yeah, and echo chamber just happen to be a demon hunting society. (laughs) And and you have to think too that it's kind of difficult to navigate through something, especially when you find something that's so new and so fresh, and it could seem. If you're wanting to try out spiritualism, sure. religion, um, I'm not a religious person, but like I've experienced that because I went through that. Mm-hmm. Like I was devout in what I believed and what I thought could happen if I just, you know, the power of prayer. Mm-hmm. And it's like I realized <laughs> that doesn't happen, but like I truly believed it. So yeah. like that idea that there are demons out there because, you know, sometimes religions as a whole talk about external external influences Mm -hmm. demons and things like that that could harm you Mm -hmm. you know that's used a lot and sometimes people take it to heart yeah Yeah. so but ultimately early intervention and knowledge are the best way to handle these types of issues before they spiral out of control and according to the mental health first aid research suggests that people are more likely to seek help if someone close to them suggests it Mm -hmm. So the MHFA action plan has five steps that can actually be used in any order. Yeah. So uh, I learned about this at my job and uh, I thought it was like really helpful, actually, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because like if the cops would have got there and knocked on that door and talked to her, maybe that could have started the process to get her help. Or if Mm -hmm. her family who knew that she had mental health issues Mm -hmm. knew how to step up and talk to her, maybe they could have got their help. So uh, the five-step action plan starts with approach, assess for risk, suicide or harm, and try to find a good time or place to talk to the person in privacy. Because, like, no one wants to get called out about their issues, you know, in front of people. Over dinner Uh, at a restaurant. (laughs) Yeah, at Benedict's. Yeah, no one wants to. (laughs) Dude, what the fuck? Yeah. Why did you do this? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It it then goes on to listen. You got to be non-judgmental. Many people experiencing these challenges you know, it's distressing, especially mm-hmm. if like, if you're like, if you're like her, you're paranoid, schizophrenic, having these delusions, 
you're probably not going to be having a good time. So mm-hmm. have, being non-judgmental and open will help them feel empathetic and you can really talk them down. Then it goes on to give reassurance and information. You know, tell them you're going to help them get through this. Help them look up some solid sources, which is hard for mental health because <laughs> it's it's a crazy system to navigate, but mm-hmm. you, know, you got to do it. Uh, then it goes on to encourage appropriate professional help. The church isn't always going to help you <laughs> if you're having, you know, seriously issues. If someone would have got her out of the situation, probably would have helped everything. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, it goes on to uh, encourage self-help. You know, just meaning get them on a good self-care routine. Get them on a schedule where they're looking out for themselves. Yeah. And I feel like with this early intervention, if someone would have just stepped in, they could have saved those kids at some point yeah. and saved her from like doing those actions. Yeah. Because on the surface, mm-hmm. this is like a tragic case of filicide stemming from an exorcism. But like at its core, it's a real sad story about mental illness. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing those steps, because I think it's one thing to talk about this. It's another thing to know how to actually act, um, especially if you are noticing signs like that of someone in your life. It can be difficult to make the move and take the step, but it's really important. And those steps are super helpful. Thank you. Yeah. And like Battle said before, in like later episodes, you can't be a zebra and it's kind of like fade into the background, especially if yeah. you see someone, you know, going through something. You got to just mm-hmm. step up. Yeah. Intervention like really helps. Like Right. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that I noticed right away with this story when you just started sharing it is that there were people in her life that did spot indications of mental illness early on. Um so between the family and the law enforcement intervention, um there there were a lot of uh what's the word I want? Missed opportunities. <laughs> Missed opportunities. Yeah, Thank off you. ramps. Like your stepmom like your stepmom's calling you meek. Like if you think she's meek, help the girl. Right. <laughs> it's not a compliment. <laughs> right, right. Oh, that's tragic. Yeah. But no, this is our episode on uh, female serial killers. I just want to thank you guys for coming on. Great information. Great story. <laughs> thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. No, it was definitely a blast. Uh, Battle, it's thank been you fun for talking about all this yeah. death. <laughs> <laughs> History, true crime, it's a circle. Okay, the, it really, is. it really is. The Venn, the Venn diagram, just diagram is a circle. circle. It's now a circle. You're right. <laughs> it's a circle. <laughs> yeah, so uh, stick around for the music, and uh, so we get to do kisses from the homies now. You guys know how to do it, or you need to count down. No, I don't know how to do this. All right, so I'll just say kisses from the homies, and you just blow kisses to the camera. I love it. All Got right, it. So one, two, three. Kisses from the homies. Mm. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but no, thank you guys for coming on. Like this was actually thank a blast. you. I'm. Yeah. It was really nice to finally meet you both. This was awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and, and I should. Uh, go, ahead, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I should be returning like soon. It's just been really busy, like with life, having a oh. kid, and then that's right. I saw that. Then, yeah. Congratulations! Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. How old? Oh, she's adorable. <laughs> she is. She'll be. She's one. Oh my god. She'll be one and a half. Um, on Tuesday, I think. Yeah. Wow. Tuesday's election day, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So Tuesday, she turns. Oh one and my half, and she, god! Yeah. She's a, she's, a, she's a star already. <laughs> Yeah, I love. Her. So it's true that having kids makes you busy all the time. Yes, right. it's and, and it's mostly like <laughs> because she's in daycare. Time now for your latest weather forecast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 